with me for a minute. One of the hazards of talking with your hands is that we tend to knock over equipment on the platform. And so I'm literally going to, not quite literally, roll up my sleeves in preparation for the message today. We're going to literally clear the deck. Because I'm quite intimidated by the passage of Scripture that we're going to study this morning. It's not that it's super difficult to understand. If I can get it, likely you can too. Well, keeping the bar low. But it is so rich and powerful. I'm, I'm urgent that we get it this morning and appropriate it, not just hear it. Um, by the way, how's the volume level? Can everyone hear me this morning? Anyone in the back, lucky you, okay, can't hear me, that's great. Just let you just sleep quietly. I know I have a very restful voice. But it goes beyond hearing. What I'm going to talk about this morning goes beyond just auditory reception. And it goes beyond uh, intellectual comprehension, your brains understand the words that I'm saying. I'm praying that the word will penetrate your spirit. I can't do that. I can't even do that for myself. I can hear the Word of God and I can read it and understand it. But sometimes it bounces off my old calloused hide, my old calloused heart, if I'm not in good condition to hear it. Because we're all guilty of selective hearing, right? We just tune into the frequencies we want to hear. We talk about tuning out people and tuning into something. And I just feel that we need to pray and ask God to help us hear. And I'm going to ask Him to scoop out the spiritual wax and junk out of our ears so we can hear and so that His Word can penetrate our hearts this morning. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for. Your word and the word we're going to study this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit will come upon us and penetrate our tough, calloused hearts so that we can see with new freshness and grace and a new appreciation of who you are and who we are in light of that. Only you can do this. So we willingly surrender ourselves to Holy Spirit and what He wants to do with us. And Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to every seeking heart. And I pray you'd reveal yourself to every skeptical heart and hardened heart here this morning. Because we all need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, Amen. The last few weeks we've been talking about the introduction of the Gospel. This is John's introduction of who Jesus is to his audience. And if you remember, he starts off saying, in the beginning was the Word. Remember? And that literally means, before the beginning ever began, the Word was already there. Okay? So think about that for a moment. Think about the creation of the universe. And... Before the beginning was even started, Jesus was already there. 
Somebody had to start it. Somebody had to start the beginning. And Jesus started the beginning. The scripture says, goes on to say, he made everything. And without him, nothing was made. So Jesus is the creator of all things. He was with the Father and equal, distinct from him, but equal. He was God. And it goes on to say, the, the word, uh, last week we talked about how Jesus came to his own people and they largely rejected him. Even though he was the light of the world, and it was the light that just the spiritual light and life that that turned on every everyone that, that made life worth living and, and gave us meaning and purpose in life. Majority of the people, even from his own ethnic background, did not receive him. But here's the good news: you pay attention when the word "but" shows up in the Bible because it generally says. Hey, here's the good news. But to as many as received him, whoever received Jesus, and not just intellectualists, assent and comprehension, but received him into their hearts and said, Yeah, I'm all in with you, Jesus. Believe into his name. Whoever did that, he gave them the authority, the right, the privilege of being in God's family. This was mind-blowing to John's audience. I don't know if you can fully appreciate how these words were so transformational and controversial to their first audience. John crafts it carefully because he's trying to appeal to a Greek audience and a Hebrew audience. And he gradually works things, he works things gradually and, and builds it up. And I've often wondered, reading this, why does John take so long for what we call in reality shows the big reveal? The big reveal. Because he's talking in vague mystical terms about the word and who the word is. All of a sudden, he says the word became flesh and his name is Jesus. But he waits till verse 14. Why not start off and saying, hey, Jesus is God, pay attention to what he's going to say. John, in making that introduction, he's trying to make connections with people. As I said before, uh, when we introduce people who say, hi, you might know so-and-so, they grew up in Brandon as well. Or, uh, this is my friend, Joanne, let's say. She's a nurse as well. You try to make that common connection. That's how John introduces his gospel, trying to make connections with his Greek and Hebrew audience. But all of a sudden, he says something that is stunning. Beyond stunning. If you were living in England, you would say you would be gobsmacked by what you read. I just wanted to use that word gobsmacked in the sermon today. You would feel gobsmacked um, when reading this because John says this the word became flesh. He's talking about this is the word that existed before the creation of everything, this is the word that made everything. This is word that was God, and all of a sudden the word became flesh. Flesh? Seriously? Really? Why not just say the word became a man and kind of appeared like a man, and sort of this hologram figure of who God is, but he says the word became flesh, human, one of us. What John's trying to do is, is refute a really popular heresy that popped up around the time, this 
there's a, there's a part of life, the way they view life is life is really, the important things in life are really spiritual, and they're kind of up there, and very ethereal, and uh, yeah, we have our earthly bodies, but life is all about escaping our earthly bodies and being up there with God somewhere. And this way of looking at life colored people's lives so much, they started to think that some things are just secular, some things are really spiritual. That's kind of what it led, that, that's what has influenced our thinking in the North American church. We tend to, to separate Sunday, such a special day, from the rest of the week. And I'm not saying it's not important, it's important to take a Sabbath. I do mine on Mondays, not on Sunday, because I, I tend to work weekends in my job. But um, what I'm trying to get across is that all of life is holy, all, all of life is set apart to God. And this, this false thinking that whatever is material or flesh is no good, it doesn't have value, it's all about the spiritual part of life. John really, I think, shocks his, especially his, he shocks his Greek audience by saying the word became flesh and he made his dwelling place. God became a human being. God? Human being, you've got to be kidding. God is so there and above us too. Why would he want to become one of us? That doesn't make sense. Can you tell this to a Jewish audience? Why do you think people tried to kill Jesus so often in the New Testament? He was claiming to be God. His first sermon, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Several times they tried to stone him. Eventually they did but not until the appointed time. Jesus clearly claimed to be God, and that was so offensive to his Jewish audience. So I think John, when he's cracking this gospel, he's trying to draw people in and saying, hey, you know, this word is really something, this really important message. I want you to all of a sudden, oh yeah, by the way, the word God became a human being. And he made his dwelling among us. He, he tabernacled, he hung out with us. He set up camp with us. For a while. He traveled with us, sojourned with us for a while. And I think John is writing as an old man several decades after his adventures with Jesus. And he's looking back and saying, You know, wow, Jesus was with us for just a while. He, he tabernacled, he hung out with us for just a while. And we've seen his glory. We've seen what God is like. One and only Son. In fact, His unique Son. Now, one of my pet peeves with the word unique is that it's unique. There's no such thing as very unique. Okay? Just what my mother taught me. She's a bit of a grammar. Anyway, there's no such thing as very unique. It's either unique or not. You know, it's one of those absolute kind of words. So, Jesus is unique, one truly one of a kind, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson translates this. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Aren't you intrigued when you get new neighbors? You see the for sale sign up in your street going, oh, it's all, it's all, it's moving. Oh, I wonder who's coming in. 
and then the neighbors come in, the, you know, the moving vans go out, the moving vans come in, you're going, you try to slightly size them up. Maybe if you're kind, like our neighbors did, you bring them over sandwiches or cookies, you're welcome. And you're trying to think, oh, what are these people like? We had that experience uh, recently. There's a house went up for sale in our street and it was sold. And we're kind of curious, all of it, this family, lovely family, with four rambunctious boys and an insolent cat that feels like it owns the whole street. Uh, moved into our neighborhood, and we, we actually uh, got to meet them. At, uh, Emily had us for a, a party who, when she became a Canadian citizen earlier this year, and we met them, and it was really great. They're just a delightful family. But it's kind of curious when, when you see someone move into the neighborhood, you think, hmm, how is that going to affect the neighborhood? What are they going to be like? Um, are they going to cut the grass? Are they going to cut my grass? Are they going to, you know, what, what, what? What will they be like? And you get to know them. And then one of the best ways really of getting to know someone is kind of moving into their neighborhood and becoming like them. Not separating yourself, but just getting to know the neighbors. And that's what Jesus did. That's what God did to become one of us. He moved into the neighborhood. He literally did. And that's astounding when you think about it. That's at the heart of the gospel. Now, God didn't just show up to say, you're a bunch of bad people. You're all in deep trouble. We already knew we were in deep trouble, right? We already knew that. Those of us who are self-aware enough to know our shortcomings. But, John says, the unique, one and only Son came from the Father. What was he full of? What was Jesus full of? Grace and truth. What a combination. I don't know what you want to be full of when you grow up, but I would love to be full of grace and truth. Love it. Because that means I'm being somewhat successful at imitating Jesus. And I can't do that on my own. I cannot be gracious and truthful on my own. I can't. I'll continue on with this for a moment, but that's what that's what Jesus came to show us. Now John the Baptist, remember we talked about him last week? He said, you know, this is the one I was talking about when I said he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we all have received grace in place of grace already given. Uh, let's unpack this for a little bit. We've all received grace in place of grace already given. God graciously gave us the Ten Commandments. Now, some people think Ten Commandments aren't that gracious. They're full of thou shalt and thou shalt this and thou shalt not. They were God's loving provision of guidelines and rules for life that if we followed them, things would go well with us. Generally, things go well when individuals and nations follow the Ten Commandments. When we don't, things get off track. So it's God's gracious way of saying, hey, if you want to enter into a relationship with me, this is what you need to do. But people soon realize that I can't keep the Ten Commandments on my own. I, I would like to be willing, but some days I'm not even willing to be willing to keep the Ten Commandments. You know, I'm not even willing to be willing to have a relationship with God. I want to do my own 
because I'm so self-absorbed and self-obsessed and self-protective and self-whatever that I just can't do it. Or I don't even want to do it. So, what happens? The law was given through Moses, the law. And it was good because it was God. But basically, the law just pointed out, ended up pointing out our shortcomings, saying we can't be good without God. We can't have a relationship with God without help, right? It's like saying, trying to keep God's commandments. It's like um, saying to someone who, who's got a serious um, health challenge, you know, you will find at the top of the mountain, you'll find the air is much clearer there, and you will enjoy the view. So just go for it. Just climb the mountain. Suck it up, and just do it. In the meantime, the person's looking at him going, Oh, come on, just suck it up and just do it. You can do it. How unhelpful and cruel is that? That's like, that's what it's like expecting us to keep God's laws perfectly on our own strength. Totally hopeless. And those of us who maybe got up, you know, taken a few steps ahead of this other person, we say, boy, you know, if they just suck it up and get their life together, they could do better. And but at the same time, we're so short of the summit ourselves. We know we just never make it. So the law was given through Moses. It was really to, to point out, it says in Galatians, the, the, the law was our schoolmaster, our, our guide to show us our need for Jesus, that we cannot be good without God. So, this grace upon grace, this, this grace was originally given to us has been superseded by grace and truth coming through Jesus. There's so much more. The law was a good beginning, but so much more is grace and truth actually coming through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. Anybody here seen God? Good way to get on the cover of People Magazine. Okay. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, the unique Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So basically, if you've seen Jesus, if you've met Jesus, you've seen God. Jesus claimed that. He said, I and the Father are one. Right? So if you want to know what God is like, say, Jesus, who are you? If you're real, show up. Show me that you're real. And then you start reading the stories about Jesus, the word about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saying, are you there? Show me. Are you there? And do you know what? He will show himself. He will. Because God has promised that when we seek him with all our hearts, he will find us. It's a lot like the mouse looking for the cat. Really. He wants to find you so much more than you want to find him. Friends, this grace and truth that comes through Jesus is so powerful. Jesus comes full of grace and truth. Jesus comes not to give us another list of things to do. Hey, 
You started with the Ten Commandments. Hey, have you seen Commandments 11 to 25? They're even bigger. You didn't come to give us another list of rules. We already knew we were broken and messed up and were falling short of relationship with him. We already knew that. Jesus came to give us new hearts, to give us what the Bible calls hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. He came so that we'd even be willing to change in the first place. To see our need for him, saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't follow you on my own. I can't do it. Jesus, full of grace and truth, sees us the way we are. Has anybody ever seen everything that you've ever done that you did not want to see being public on the screen? We all have stuff in our lives. We would be horrified and humiliated if it was put up in public. If we can all agree with that. If we're honest. that we have done, that have been done to us, things that we do not want to be made known public. He knows that. He's come after us anyway. That's the good news. He's come after us anyway. And he pursues us. And he loves us. And he says, I know everything about you. I love you. Jesus also is the truth. And he knows everything about us. We, can, we cannot lie to God. We often lie to ourselves. We may lie to other people, but we can't lie to God. We can try, but we end up just looking really foolish. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he makes this audacious claim to say, <coughs> try to grab onto him, maybe tenuously, even around the ankle or something. Okay, don't let me go. I'm trying to believe here. Or if we're foolish and if we want to stay in our self-denial, we huddle up in a ball in the corner and say, no, listen, no, listen. Like falling from Lord of the Rings. We do do that. But what a silly way to respond to someone who comes to us full of grace and truth. Words are important, aren't they? Words are very important. What we say is important, and the way we say it is even more important. Here is the message that God the Father has for us today. This message is so important. He did not use just audible words that we can hear. He did not just use written words that most of us can read and write in some language. We have that ability. His word was a person. 
person. So you don't understand communication, right? Apparently, 7% of communication is verbal. Um, if you want to get the whole picture, it's got to be face to face, right? That's why text and emails, I appreciate those things. Maybe I'm just old and grumpy. They're, they have their place for quick communication, but if you really want to God's word to us is Jesus. The way he lived, the way he treated people, how he interacted with people who loved him, how he interacted with people who hated him, how he interacted with people who were just kind of
this is the kind of God that I want to follow. And I think he wants to follow you too. Our only rational response to this grace and truth that is offered to us is to say, okay, God, give up. What do you want me to do tonight? What do you want? That's the only rational response. Really. Anything less than that, you are teaching yourself. And when I give God anything less than saying, okay, I'm all in, Jesus, I'm shortchanging myself. God will find someone else to accomplish his purpose. He doesn't need me per se. But I shortchange myself. The word becomes flesh. My God, my God, full of grace and truth. Friends, Now, Lord, as we celebrate this meal together, I pray 